welcome to yet another rousing round of The Dice Are Screaming. Oh! That's right. Your favorite podcast back with your two favorite co-hosts. Well, me, I mean, Randy. Your, your two only co-hosts. Oh, well, hey, now don't spoil it. <laughs> and that's Mike. Ah, uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> and you're joining us for our Tuesday edition, so... Welcome to the Bad 70s Mustache Ugh. of Gaming Podcasts. All out of control, yeah. <laughs> We're just everywhere and nowhere. Uh, barber is seriously needed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, but I am pretty jazzed for today's discussion, but... Well, we're not gonna. That the kimono remains closed for now. Oh, thankfully. Uh, yeah, yeah. That 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 will come later. Uh, for now, we actually have a call in. Uh, yeah. With regard to our weather episode. Yes, it is. So Jerry Smith Roth has seen fit to ding us with a call in. So thank you, Jerry. And we're Jeremy. I'm sorry. Jeremy, uh, got your name wrong, but we'll get you right, Broth, as we turn to you, your calling. So without further ado, take it away, Jeremy. Hey guys, uh, Froth here. I wanted to let y'all know I really enjoy y'all's podcast, and uh, this one, uh, it was no exception. Um, I'm lucky to run most of my games in Greyhawk, so there's this Greyhawk online weather generator that you can just kind of put in where they are on the map and click it and get a full month of weather automatically rather than having to go through and kind of generate it yourself. But um, one thing that I need to get on is using some fog. I, ha- I can't remember the last time I used fog. I, I, of course, uh, there, there's been the mists of Ravenloft or whatever, but just using straight up fog, I, I, I haven't done that in a while. So I think my PCs are going to have a, a foggy morning coming coming at them soon so anyway really enjoyed it great conversation uh keep up the good work thanks all right thank you very much broth for that uh yeah foggy morning breakdown oh yeah foggy mountain breakdown homage yeah uh players never quite look at fog the same way twice after being exposed to ravenloft yeah all right if that doesn't make you a little worried well it's not gorillas in the mist. It's no, vampires in the mist, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, fog is one of those things that we just were kind of talking about. and You know, it does uh, enter into play with weather. And yeah, a uh, good tip on that uh, uh, weather generator, you know, Land of Greyhawk. That's really cool. Get a whole month already pre-done, so that helps take off a lot of the work. Not oh, checking yeah. every day, but... Uh, yeah, that's uh, a nice thing to have. And, uh, yeah, weather, that was right up our uh, point right there, was that weather affects a lot more than just uh, mood or setting. It actually affects play. So, yeah, good on you. And thanks again for uh, that insight on that. We'll definitely be looking that up. Yeah, that actually is a handy tool, which I don't know how that one escaped me, but, you know, a random weather generator that, like, takes it out of my hands where I can just roll a die and call it good. Mm-hmm. Uh, that <laughs> I I do try to be fair to the player characters in the sense that like just because the DM's in a bad mood doesn't mean it's always storming. Mm. Uh, uh, neither is it always sunny in Philadelphia. So not always sunny in Verbabonk. And uh, well, with that, uh, thank you for that call in. And again, uh, keep them coming in, guys. We really appreciate hearing from you. So uh, 
you know, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, just uh, feel free to you know, drop us a little line. And I know it's one-minute format, so, you know, you can barely get stuff in. But uh, we appreciate when you do, so. Yeah, I, yeah, we still love it. And, you know, we really got to do a session where we do some call-ins on our favorite yeah, podcasts. Because doing it as a duo is just, uh, it, it's prohibitive in many respects. Uh, with the one-minute format, it, it we have attempted it in the past, and it was a little awkward, but that's all right. We'll we will find an opportunity to do that sometime. Right on. So, without further ado, we'll be talking about something tonight. That's right. Uh, okay. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know what we're going to talk about. Komodo. The kimono is fluttering uh, with anticipation. All right. Avert your eyes. <laughs> that's right. We do have a very meaty topic to talk about. So uh, before yeah. we really tear into it, just going to preface this with a little. Uh, Warning that uh, we are going to get on our high horse. We're going to doff our powdered wigs and dark robes and sit in judgment. We are actually going to come down very heavily on one thing. Yeah. We feel uh, uh, the dice are screaming. It's kind of become a topic du jour lately around the interwebs. And we're hip cats to all the stuff that the kid, cool kids are talking about. <laughs> so. uh, oh, yeah. We vape with our man buns. Oh. <laughs> or, or whatever kids do these days. Uh, yeah, avocado toast. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what we're all about here. Whatever that is. But, uh, yeah, so uh, the topic is going to be the authority of the DM. Yeah, and this is one near and dear to our hearts. So when we say we're, we're going to come off a little judgy on this one, it's because in many circumstances, the subjects we discuss, the topics we choose, are things that are incredibly subjective, uh, we know what we've done, and we're happy to share that as ideas that other people may harvest for their game. And we're proud to do that. I mean, it's just sharing is all it is. It's not so much uh, in the advice column category or the uh, lawyerly rules guild uh, you know, adjudication. It's more like an exchange of notions, which I think is great. But this is different. Uh, this is about DM authority, and this is less black and white. Uh, our universal standpoint on this, and for once, Randy and I are in absolute lockstep agreement. It is one thing that 30-odd years of gaming each uh, has taught us well. You're the editor. When you're the DM, you are the creator in chief. Uh, you know, there's such a thing as too many chiefs and not enough, uh, you know, worker bees. Yeah. It's, you know, too many bosses, not enough workers. Yeah. Can't have a hive that's nothing but queens. Um, so when a DM decides to start a campaign or start a regular group uh, and they're going to sit down behind the screen, they're taking on the role of everything that is going to be portrayed. They're deciding the material that is going to be presented, and while there's lots of wiggle room on, yeah, what should a DM present? What's what's going to be enjoyable for player characters? Uh, what's going to create a suitable amount of variety? Lots of wiggle room there. But on this one thing, there is no budging. It is the DM that has both the authority and the responsibility to shape their own campaign. 
to shape the games that they present uh, each week or month or however often they game. And nobody can take that away. Uh, receiving a book with a passage in it that you do not like, it's irrelevant. There is nothing that can possibly be published, printed, written, scrawled by airplane with smoke <laughs> in the sky. Nothing. There is no such thing as a thing that a DM cannot overcome by simply editing it to suit their tastes. So if I take umbrage at something, it's the notion that if a thing that one does not approve of exists, it must be expunged and the entire product is a loss because, well, if I don't like this, if I don't think this is suitable for my game, then it shouldn't even be here. Wrong. That is the road to abject failure. Uh, not to sound too uh, well. God-complex-like, but um, the yeah. DM has absolute power already and never lost it. So this, this implication that at some point, they've taken my power, they can't. Uh, only the DM can throw away their power. And it looks like a lot of people these days don't seem to have a good feel for just how powerful a DM is. So that's what we're going to hit today. Yeah, and I think you just covered most of the topic right off the bat with what some of our contentions are. And to place this in the context, the only person that the Dungeon Master, you as the Dungeon Master, if you are the Dungeon Master, has to really answer to is the players. If you're not having fun, and this is not going to be fun for you, then change it. It's just that simple. Now... There are certain things and expectations that players have. They buy the books and they say, well, this is in here. You know, for instance, if you don't like typelings, okay? And somebody points and says, well, typelings or dragonborn or whatever are core race and I want to play them. Hey, listen to your players. Take some time out and discuss why you feel that it's not appropriate for that campaign. And if you have a fair mind, and I think most people do who start playing Dungeons & Dragons, you'll come to a conclusion that either your players are grasping at something that you just don't feel is appropriate, or they'll start to come to your side and understand your reasons. But the most important thing is to communicate, to talk, and understand what the moods are. And that includes the players as well as the DM. The players also have to adhere to a certain idea that, hey, the guy who's doing a lot of the legwork here and heavy lifting is the one that's going to be setting some of the precedents. And once you set a precedent, keep to it. But, uh, you know, don't be inflexible either, I want to say, as an add-on to this. And uh, don't be so inflexible that you become a victim of your own circumstance. Be willing to move now and then and give some room. You know, after a while, you say no typelings and, you know, you've played and you're like, you know what, I really think that uh, typelings aren't so bad. Or, you know, uh, a dragonborn would be appropriate for this session. You know, throw it out there. Yeah, it, it's tougher when you hand-create a campaign world that has not made room for new concepts in it. Uh, <clears throat> if Dragonborn, for instance, uh, which was contentious at its time. Yeah, half-dragon uh, and all that. You know, a, a person with uh, some draconic heritage, um, who is visibly different 
there was talk that, uh, well, because they're monstrous and they've just shown up, you know, why aren't people hucking spears at them? Uh, look, in any campaign setting, if this is the new core race included in the campaign setting, it's kind of a easy pre-assumption that they've been there a while. You know, that this is right. a thing that, this is a thing now. People are used to this. It's, they've, they've got them in every town. They may not be 75% of the population, but it's a thing now. And people do not just go, ah! Uh, <laughs> Running for shelter as they call for the watch. Yeah. Much like the Typling and the Azimar. Uh, Azimar got quite the pass because they're celestially uh, related. As yeah, like to the difference between half-elves and half-orcs. People distrust half-orcs because, well, they have orcish blood and, you know, well, we can't trust those orcs. But half-elves, you know, they're elven. Yeah. Uh, how bad can that be? Now, uh, by way of example, uh, I myself run a first edition uh, based first edition rule set with a lot of custom campaign material. Uh, the campaign material is, for the most part, not things that actually alter the rules, uh, but the nations and peoples and traditions and customs are radically different. So one side effect of that was that there were no demi-human or fully non-human races available to player characters at the onset of play. Only the half-orc and the half-elf were still around. Uh, just kind of leftovers of a time when uh, monstrous and or demi-human races were common. Uh, with that said, in the course of play, by meeting the remaining hidden factions of demi-humans, those races could be opened up to players during the course of the campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, and once again, this is all editing we're talking about. This was a decision that was made at the beginning of the campaign to limit it without placing an absolute limit. Uh, as opposed to, oh, there will never ever be a dwarf in this campaign setting. No, 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 no. As soon as you've met dwarves, somebody can play one. Uh, as soon as you've met elves in the course of play, somebody can play one. And so on and so forth until, well, very late into this campaign. We're, we're in year three now. Pretty much all of the familiar non-human races are now available. So, yeah, you can tailor both scenarios where you make something restricted access, but you don't make it unattainable. Yeah, and if all is said and done and you just don't feel that your campaign has room for one of these new races or something that has just been released in a supplement, then go ahead and change it. But uh, you are the arbiter, and acting like the rules are now against you or that you can't act within your own authority as a DM to an use or incorporate whatever you see fit, that's just kind of a false assumption. I mean, that's... That's where you start running into the problems of, well, now, you're, if you want to play a certain way, there are different rule sets to do that, and they obviously uh, simulate it. Uh, for instance, in Greyhawk, when I was running it in 3rd edition, and they were coming out with new races all the time, Greyhawk was very much the standard of 1st edition style play. And you would say, well, how come you, uh, how could somebody uh, play a Warforged in Greyhawk? I would always find a way to. Like, they came from... 
the city of the gods in Blackmore. Mm. Uh, they were sequestered away on a demi-plane, and they were unleashed, as much as Mike spoke about having a, a adventure that incorporated part of them, and now they were now running around. They would be rare, and perhaps looked at a little askance, but not com- viewed with ho- complete hostility. More curious than they were uh, discouraged from most places. Ah, very so, well. You could do something like that. Now, half dragons are the dragonborn. Um, let's, I'll be honest here. They were, at the onset of the uh, third edition rules, uh, power mongers paradise. I mean, they were powerful. <laughs> yes, you could play one, but they were much different than just playing a dwarf or an elf. They had considerable stat bonuses and... They had abilities that other player character races just didn't have. So they were unbalanced. And fairly enough, if you said, well, only in certain circumstances will I allow them or, you know, a, a way to play, what I would do is uh, because they were, had what was called uh, uh, character level built into the, baked into the rules on it, um, at a certain level I would allow somebody to switch out a, a character. But uh, I also found out that wasn't satisfactory I've, Always, because people would just play a cheap character they really didn't care about just to get to the level where they could have a half dragon and then, you know, they'd immediately switch and then that was their main character. Well, you know, let people play, and I come to the conclusion, let people play what they want and everybody will be the happier part. Yeah, the one thing I will say in its defense was that at the same time that they upscaled the power of certain character races. Uh, they also provided a lot of tools for the DM to upscale the level of challenge. Yes. So, and that's that brings me to, I, I think, what should be our next most important point, is that there is a core difference between an alteration to text, a available character race, or a available prestige class, or a series of characters or scenarios that appear in a module uh, or in a campaign setting, that's written material. Where I would actually pause for a moment and say I support somebody being upset would be if the mechanics of the game were so fundamentally altered that it made the new rule set difficult to play with. Yeah, like the initial appearance of the Cavalier had... Uh, you could improve your stats as a Cavalier every time you leveled up. Yeah. And that was kind of a big thing with a lot of people. was like, well, but my fighter, who's always been practicing out, practicing working out all the time with his weapons, he doesn't get this? Well, you know, it's just a kind of Cavalier thing, and, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know. It led a lot of people to nerf the Cavalier, which, again, was exercising their discretion as a DM. Uh, a thing which, here at the Dice of Screaming, we fully understand and appreciate. Uh, it doesn't always have to be over a rule we agree or disagree with, but it's the free exercise of, you know, DM prerogative. Uh, whoever the DM happens to be, they make that ultimate judgment call on what is going to be thrown at me in this campaign. And, you know, that's their call to make. Cavalier is a good example of that, where it was a highly questionable fudging of the traditional expectations of rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't quite come to the level of breaking the system, which, if you have heard my previous blind rage at 4th edition, uh, 
that was a substantive change to the rule set. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and a lot of the way the game has been played for uh, over a period of time. You have to meet some expectations. I agree with you on that one. But little textual alterations are not the end of the world. Like letting everybody have the Cavalier ability to raise their primary attributes. Yeah. I mean, that's a, the alternate DM option rather than wiping out the Cavalier. Uh, exercising authority as the DM, however one sees fit, you could just as easily say, this is a thing anybody can accomplish. Maybe the Cavalier has a slight boost at it uh, ahead of other people to reflect a class benefit that is unique to them, but it's a thing that everyone else can do. Yep, and that's uh, how we played it. I mean, we started giving out percentile roles to every uh, character class's primary attributes, intelligence for wizards, wisdom for clerics, and things like that. And, of course, in 3rd edition, they just completely said everybody gets a set uh, ability boost at certain levels, and that's carried out into 5th as well. I always thought that that got a little out of hand uh, towards the upper scale because the, the characters rapidly, you know, achieved... Uh, well, not rapidly. With, with lengthy enough play, they achieved near-deity-like stats that I didn't personally see as good limitations. Uh, they have done a little bit to bring that down a notch uh, so that the difficulty that one faces to increase a stat is a pretty good match. It, it would be very hard without the uh, blessings of magical items to get beyond a certain point. Yeah, you only get five points yeah. total. So, I mean, that's that's fairly fair. I mean, if you're just getting a total of five adju points adjustment, you know, you're basically increasing a stat by two bonus points overall, and, you know, you got a free float in one if you yeah. get an odd score, so... Yeah, they've done a nice job shepherding that so that it's not broken. Uh -huh. Yeah, and, you know, um, the other option is, as well as the 5th edition, you know, you can only go to certain stats anyway, so that tends to cut that out. But, right, again, you know, um, rather than talking about game balance, it's your authority as the game has to determine what is and what is not kosher in your game, I guess is the best way to put it, and you make your decisions, but make sure that you talk it over with your players, and you probably won't ever really go wrong. Most players tend to agree with what a, a DM says based on the fact that, you know, it's a hard job running a game, and unless a player has their heart set on something, you know, they're probably most of the time going to go with the flow, but... Um, you again, will run into the occasional power gamer that... You know, like, they, they absolutely have to have the, uh, there's, and this is the tricky part that we've mm -hmm. got to get to here. This, this is not fun. I mean, this is kind of big point number three. Yep. Exercising that DM fiat. Um, I'm not saying that you should use it like an iron boot heel stamped across the necks of player characters at every waking moment. That would be an overuse of it. But you will run across a circumstance here or there where you will be obligated to say, oh, absolutely not. I am sorry. I know that this is a thing you want. I feel your pain. But this is not going to happen. Like dart specialization in second edition with an 18-00 strength. Oh, yeah. You know, not against dart specialization. Not against it. But, uh, you know, combining it with a, well, you can only get this much bonus out of this much 
uh, dice with your strength, you know. <laughs> that was a good way to hem it in in the RPGA. That's how yeah. they eventually fixed it. But for a while there, whoo. Yeah, and throw in specialization. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for the extra attacks. Oh, yeah. There were some nightmarish rules, loopholes. That, again, a DM does not have to be bound uh, by the books as though they were wholly written. Uh, right. Text and... is just text. You have the power to alter that. Use it as you see fit, and do not forget that you have that power. If there's material that you find discomforting, excise it on your own. Sure, it exists in other people's games. Not a problem. It doesn't exist in yours. Uh, so, you know, if you hear people railing that the mere existence of an idea of which they disapprove is the end of gaming as we know it, know that they are absolutely full of nonsense. Mm -hmm. uh, and that, frankly, I, I, <laughs> yeah, these these are the geldings of gaming. I, yeah. I, I cannot imagine the geldlings of gaming, and I cannot imagine how that happened because uh, it should be completely impossible to uh, diminish a DM's ability to sit there with some material, think up a ways to work around this, that, or the other thing, and then exercise their own discretion. It should not be possible to void that uh, through any form of text or publication that it cannot be done. It cannot be. Yeah, it is just not a thing that is even an issue. So, you know, I, I take a certain dim view of the insistence I that glower. it is possible. I'm yeah. glower. Yeah, that there's much glowering. Uh, just seriously, really. Lowering and frowning. Mm. Maybe a little shake of that. Yes, stern, stern disapproval. Uh, but, yeah, that's quite rare for us to have a incredibly firm stance on something that is an absolute. Uh, we don't normally do that. No, but, and but I would just like to add to the whole thing about, if you're unsure about a rule or inclusion, you know what? Do what we used to do back in the day. Uh, I remember we had a great knockdown dragout fight that over both specialization. You know, it was just incredibly to my onerous, and it would just destroy the whole game. But we played a few sessions of it, and then we took a, a, a step back and said, "Okay, what do you think?" And after a, a full appreciation of its limitations and what it did, both specialization, it wasn't that bad. No, I, I had initially, I think. The largest portion of my frustration had been uh, the time required to charge monsters meant that most of them were dead before I got there. Uh, <laughs> so it was really more of a personal dispute than, like, just, what? Really? Arr! But we talked about it, and that's the big thing. Is we worked through it. We did a trial session. We did about two sessions, and it's, okay, if it's not going to work out, how's it working out? And even Mike was like, ah, you know, I see where, you know, it has its power. It's very powerful at close range, but... Outside of that, not really that much different than uh, any other bowfire. Actually, he actually ended up admitting that it gives the ranger a little bit different uh, appeal at the time. Gave the ranger some punch uh, and, you know, brought archery back into its own uh, as a useful, relevant talent. Uh, yeah. Typically, uh, up until that point in the early editions, 
Missile weapons were a thing you kept handy in the event that a creature was flying and could not easily be reached by you, or it was up on a ledge. You know, you wanted something to you know, pelt those enemy archers with uh, at range. So, yeah, you well, know, we it had its place, but it wasn't fully fleshed out and it was not a powerful combat option until they moved it forward a little bit and made the ranger more viable as an archer class. Yeah, well, the ranger had plenty of punch with that uh, giant class uh, damage bonus in melee, but the point yeah. to consider was at the time that uh, the ranger was one of the only characters that could start with both specialization, you know, with double specialized in the bow, and that was where the real punch was. But uh, not to get too far off in the weeds of yeah. the subject, we're... That was just a suggestion I wanted to get to, and I think Mike has hit it fairly well. Uh, he speaks for me pretty much on this one, because we have kind of started to drift into, uh, as we've grown in our community, uh, we've rubbed up against uh, people who say, well, there's this, uh, you're biased as a DM, you have to adhere by the rules because the rules are perfect. <laughs> and I say, baloney. Yeah, well, you know, I, I hate to break it to them, but you know, having lived through five rule sets... Ah, uh, you know, it, six if you include the red box set. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd like to beg to differ. Uh, and I, I think I can back that one up. So, <laughs> uh, you know, that, that would be the voice of inexperience braying. Uh, yeah, and also, you know, listen to your players. That's the other thing. Is You know, if you're just, as Mike said, stepping on their uh, necks with your boot heel just to do or maintain something you feel is just artificial, you are kind of diminishing yourself. And, you know, the players will uh, move and migrate. They will find other people to play with who are more willing. And so you have to kind of take that into consideration, too. But again, if yeah. you set your expectations clearly in the front and give your reasons behind it, most people won't understand. Yeah, I'm not saying give them the keys to the kingdom, because, frankly, players are there to be challenged. And even if they don't admit that and they want the cushy ride vocally, they may say, uh, you know, it'd be a lot easier if we, you know, had some really high-quality magical weapons. There's got to be a workaround somewhere. Is there, is there anywhere in this campaign I can just buy a, you know, plus three longsword? Uh, they are looking for the easy way out. But they will enjoy working for it. Huh. That's so much more. Yeah. And the the goal is not to make things unachievable. The goal is to make them put forth effort to think, to plot, to scheme, and then to garner the rewards of all that effort. Uh, so, yeah, I'm saying the rewards should be there. Uh, the things that they're looking for, the things that you hear them, you know, questing after, take notes on those. Keep mm. those in mind. But make them earn them. They will thank you for it later. It's one of those almost parenting moments where, <laughs> sure, they don't like the chores, but that allowance is really going to kick in a little later down the road. So, All right. Well, I think we've covered the topic good enough. And again, thank you, Frost, for calling in. Oh, yeah. And uh, as we doff our powdered wigs and uh, climb down from our bench, we do want to remind you that uh, if you disagree with anything we have to say here and you'd like to add your own voice to it, why do so? And uh, we'll be more than happy to do so. I think we're going to end up in the not-too-distant future having a guest. Oh, yes. 
And uh, of course, we're going to be doing uh, about monthly live casts. So we'll try to let you know when those are going to happen. Yeah, at and least a few days ahead of time. We'll we'll throw a heads up and say, hey, we're actually going to show up live cast style. Right, but uh, we appreciate you hanging out with us. We hope you have a good night and a good week. And we'll see you Friday. But until then, ah, may the, the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.